0: Hello and welcome to our new FIS podcast, Castaway, keeping you in the know on the shipping and commodity world where we're all at home quarantined. We know that working and business has changed dramatically in the past couple of months, so developing a range of resources to help keep you up to date on everything happening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website, www.freightinvestorservices.com, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. FIS is fully functional. Every broker, every office, and every team is ready to help you with pricing, research, and operational assistance. Hello, welcome to uh, Castaway, FIS's podcast. Uh, And we have back with us this week, Tom, our Director of FIS Asia, uh, Carrier, Head of FIS Business Development. And we also have two special guests from S&P Global Platts, Paul Bartholomew, Head of Asia Metal Insights, and Seb Lewis, Head of Market Insights for China. Uh, Hello guys, thank you for joining. Hi
1: there, thanks for having
0: me. So let's kick off uh, with some of the news that we've had in the past week. And I guess the number one news, if we could start with, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, let's just jump in with Seb. The big news that we've had last week has obviously been the OPEC cut. Um, we have had, said from uh, OPEC plus, that's going to be 9.7 million cuts. Uh, it's less than the 15 top market that Trump promised. Are we get any sort of insight in terms of what the market's reaction to that has been? We have bullish, negative. Uh, what are your thoughts so far on what they've done?
1: I think the markets um, weren't overimpressed by it. I mean, look—it's one of the biggest cuts, it's bigger than the cut that happened back in two thousand eight. But at the same time, it's not really enough, I think, to do uh, to, to kind of cope with the total demand destruction or as a result of you know global coronavirus pandemic. So the markets, I think, gave it a bit of a result of you know a bit of a thumbs down, and uh, crude prices reacted accordingly. Um, you know, hasn't—we haven't seen the support expected. And um, I think the structural market's still quite heavily in contango as a result. Um, so I think the market's not so impressed. And the thing about this is, look, even if you did manage to get that, you know, even if you did manage to get that full, you know, those cuts, the chance has always been an issue. You know, there's a lot of people involved with this. You've got OPEC, you've got Russia, Mexico, a few others. Um, you know, with America cut, with the US cut, you know, it's, it remains to be seen. And there's debate about whether natural clothes are actually cut. But historically, it's been hard to get compliance when one or two countries like Saudi Arabia have to do all the cutting. Um, and we saw most recently Saudi Arabia heavily cutting their OSPs, which is the base on which they sell oil to Asia, really saying they want to compete aggressively um, on their sales into Asia. So um, I think one should be sceptical about this and you know, how long will those cuts take to come in? already we've got a lot of oversupply, we're see more oil going into tanks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, putting further pressure on the structure and, and flat price.
0: Yeah, and Tom, to bring you in this, uh, as we missed out on your uh, insight from last week, um, your views on, on this oil cut, I mean, there's supposedly going to be another 9.8, as Seb alluded to, for other countries outside of OPEC. Is this a load of rubbish, a load of fluff on people? Are we actually going to see this unprecedented global oil producer cut?
2: Uh, well, I mean, I'd like to think that there is some compliance extending from what uh, Seb was just saying. Um, however, it, uh, it, it remains to be seen. As, as, as Seb just said, the markets have reacted relatively mutedly in response so far. Uh, and if, you know, as, as uh, Mr. Trump is hailing that his, his great involvement will spark the market back to life, then seemingly we'll need further intervention uh, from him and OPEC Plus to sort of get that going. Um, I think from a Singapore perspective, what's been interesting on the or interesting or worrying rather on the oil side this week or the last week really is the news that Hin Leong, one of the biggest bunker traders uh, in Singapore, if not the, the world, Uh, is in severe financial difficulties on the back of these price corrections that we've been seeing over the last few weeks. Um, And that will have some severe knock-on effects to the oil market in general. Um, There's reports today that the banks out here are exposed to the tune of at least $3 billion. um, And I think that's just the start of it by the sound of things. big work going on to to try and restructure some of that financing. But I think there will be ripples uh, from that if,
0: uh, if no solution can be reached in a timely manner. So, yeah, I guess it's true yeah. also of the US oil. There's one being struggling as well. But just to bring Paul in on some discussion about the virus situation, we've seen Trump throw his toys at the pram about uh, the WHO and he's going to withdraw funding after stuff. But in China, it seems that they're finally starting to get over uh, this terrible situation and starting to open things up. you're seeing lots of evidence of that.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, I've actually got uh, one of my colleagues I get her to go out and take photographs of building sites uh, every few days and so we've got some quite good evidence uh, there was nobody there about two and a half weeks ago, and now we're seeing uh, seeing all the rebar going in and that's you know that's sort of showing itself in steel prices now. So we have steel margins and uh, rebar margins are a very healthy. 63 dollars a ton at the moment uh, a little bit less so for hot rolled coil so we sort of estimate there's probably a, um it's construction activities around about 60 to 70 percent of sort of normal levels uh manufacturing is probably a little, a little bit higher at the moment but yeah i mean all the migrant workers they had they did quarantine in their, their hometowns when they eventually drifted back to their places of work they then had to do another uh, 14 days of uh, quarantine. So it's only really, we've only really seen activity sort of starting from sort of the you know, second half of March. And uh, so it's still, but, but yeah, we can see from obviously the prices around iron ore prices and, and some of the um, steel prices that, um, that, you know, we are seeing evidence of sort of downstream demand returning in China now.
0: Yeah, and any further evidence too? So I've read, been reading about Hokkaido and their, what, virologists have been talking about this second wave of virus coming through is there any evidence of that in china as it started to relax these restrictions
3: yeah um yeah that was always going to be the big concern that when workers all, all came back from their respective hometowns that there could be like a second uh, kind of outbreak but it hasn't really happened so much in most most of the out well most of the coronavirus cases at the moment tend to be you know people sort of Coming into China, so I think, and those fears seem to be sort of unfounded. I mean, well, you know, one of the things that sort of held back um, construction activity was they just didn't have enough masks, protective masks. So they've um, they've addressed that issue a little bit. So, so I think um, you know that that hasn't been as bad as as sort of previously um,
0: thought. The so good news, Seb, you clearly had something to say on this point.
1: Yeah, I look at Paul's right in that most of the um, recent cases or reported cases, the virus seem to be imported. So that's coming in at the major major airports. For example, Shanghai saw another 60 cases the other day. But they've been picked up, they're getting quarantined. So there isn't really a lot of concern, I don't think you know people are out in Shanghai about that. There was quite a big report um, up in northern China, up at the border in Russia, which has seen a bit of close down in some of the cities. Uh, and I suppose more generally, if we're talking about the macro picture and what well, that means for commodity demand, um, we've also got to remember that, you know, domestic flights are still quite curtailed, international flights are still very curtailed, you know, non-Chinese nationals are not allowed into the country at the moment. So if you're looking at kind of overall demand on the energy side of things, it's still down quite a bit. And as Paul correctly says, there's a lot of, you know, activity returning. If you can walk around the streets in Shanghai, apart from the fact that everyone's wearing a mask and increasingly... Few people are wearing masks, actually. You're seeing them kind of people not bothering about them. You would be mistaken or you could think this is all pretty much back to normal. But Shanghai is in the rest of China. And, you know, I'm kind of, I think there's a concern around a few things. For example, the SMEs, small and medium enterprises, you know, a lot of them have gone under and although they might have technically opened up their gates, I think it's very unlikely they're really operating at full at capacity. Unemployment has probably gone up. And of course, all this is a kind of, all this constrains demand. And if then you look at the kind of high-frequency data, things like coal burner power stations or uh, land sales or housing sales, you know, we're back to about 70, 80 percent of where we were this time last year. And the real question is, is that going to come back to 100 percent? And I think be, I think it will, could be slower than people think. If we do get another wave of infections, obviously we're going to see further clampdowns. We're going to see further movement restrictions, which again is just going to drag on demand. And you know, when it comes to exports, okay, exports aren't a huge component of China's GDP, but they're, you know, pretty big in absolute numbers. And also, they employ a lot of people. So, with very limited export demand, again, you've got problem with factories, you've got problem with unemployment, which again, overall, is just another a further drag on the economy, coming back to you know where it was uh, this time last year.
0: Cool. And uh, so, let's bring this to commodity-specific uh, conversation. Let's talk about iron ore. Tom, if you wanted to come in to start with us, so we have talked over the last couple of weeks how resilient iron ore prices have been, despite you know other markets like Oregon absolutely slammed. Are we still seeing that continuation of what we saw as this resilience to the situation uh, worldwide?
2: Uh, yeah broadly speaking we have in the last in the last week um, the indexes sort of drifted up or more than drifted up actually is up three and a half bucks since uh, since we last spoke um, so sort of considerable pressure uh, on the upside coming into the market um, driven I mean and uh, Paul can probably jump in on this but driven I think um, broadly speaking by um, genuine demand coming back online as we've just discussed in china there is an appetite for for these raw materials for uh, for the for the steel complex um and there has been significant constraint on the supply side um so it's sort of as we touched on on our first episode it has been sort of a a perfect storm to sort of drive pricing up but the, the flip side to that, is that there. Is the demand actually there to 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 pick it up? Uh, and at the moment, it seems that the supply constraints are are over overruling the, the, the de, what, what we consider to be demand constraints. Um, but the price is continuing to, to stay strong and and drift 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 north. Um, uh, whether that continues as. We sort of see some increased stockpiles, steel stockpiles uh, data coming out, which is, you know, as we've touched on before, very high. Um, And whether that will start to weigh on pricing at some point in the next week or so, or slightly more medium term, remains to be seen. But for the moment, yeah, it's a continuation of the strong pricing that we've seen for the last few weeks. Good, Uh, Paul, bring
0: you in on this uh, to start with, and then we will come to SEB. Are you seeing that kind of similar situation the Tobs outlining in terms of? Uh, exports jumping in terms of the index—is this founded in terms of actual real fundamentals, or is this a pop before we we go boom?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. So I have sort of been thinking for a while that that sort of eighty dollars a ton level is you know going to come under pressure and it could sort of break through that. And what do we have on April the fourteenth? Eighty-six dollars a ten, eighty-six dollars a ten, or at least the flat sixty-two percent. And so yes, yeah, so we are seeing some. You know, actual demand, uh, as I mentioned, some of the steel prices and, and importantly margins uh, are improving. The um, stockpiles, port stockpiles, are, are, are relatively um, you know, a bit lower. There's been a little bit of supply um, tightness from you know from certain um, producers, but typically Q2, you know, we see supply coming back on. So I think at the moment, um, you know, whereas in the past there possibly has been sentiment keeping prices up, you know, expectations or hopes that the Chinese government are going to roll out some big in infrastructure investment program. but I think at the moment we are seeing some genuine you know decent fundamentals. Um, we're seeing that uh, activity downstream that I mentioned earlier uh, you know in, impacting on uh, iron ore prices. we We did a survey actually a couple of weeks ago we talked to a lot of Chinese mills and and some big traders and even some of the miners and they in q two most people saw, Prices averaging around about
0: eighty to ninety dollars a ton, and that sort of seems you know, fairly realistic at the moment. And Seb, to bring you on, on this, you were talking about the the medium and smaller sized businesses still still struggling. Is that something that's going to impact on these iron ore prices, or are people looking elsewhere for their fundamentals of why where this market's going to move?
1: Well, I, mean, I think when it comes to st- I mean, if we look at the downstream demand for steel, I the SMEs are not necessarily so exposed to that. I mean, obviously, when they're involved in the steel processing. Um, value chain yes but generally speaking i think it's more of a kind of overall energy uh, overall economic activity picture which has a knock-on effect right to steel demand i mean if you look at cars for example auto sales you know down very very heavily okay there was always already a problem before i don't think economic weakness and i don't think kind of um sm you know weakness in in smaller companies and bond etc helps consumer sentiment which drives that consumption side of the steel of the steel um, or, you know steel value chain if you like and the big one to look for is probably going to be housing um, you know housing had a very good year uh, last year uh, remarkably so given the government's been trying to kind of tamper or tamp down speculation housing and you know housing sales have, I think you know, it depends which numbers you look at some are fix numbers they're back to about 75 80 percent of where they were last year and it's hard to believe that really the government is going to go in with a big stimulus package and kind of go and the housing market, you know it's happened before like you know last few, obviously we had a big big push back in 08 but then when we had a bit of weakness back in you know 2016 government pushed liquidity into the economy, stimulated that and it really kind of pushed up housing demand and that drags on the old, on, on the iron ore, iron, iron ore kind of price. but. Um, I think you've got to be a bit careful about that. The government for some time has been saying, look, you know, housing is not for speculation, it's for living in, we're not going to do a mass stimulus, you know, which suggests they're going to be really careful at all if they can put money into it for fear of just blowing up another asset bubble, Uh, which might be good for iron or short term, but longer term is not good for the Chinese economy. So I think I'm just a bit more sceptical. Um, about any kind of big movements on the kind of optimistic upside um, over the near, in the, in the near term anyway. You know, look, as we get into the kind of second half, fourth quarter, then I think the pitch will become a lot clearer, especially around um, external demand. But in the near term, I think caution is probably one.
4: Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, uh, to speak right over you. But I, I also just have to agree with you. I think that one of the key issues here is the Chinese government has gotten a lot of headlines by pouring money into yet another slew of infrastructure projects. But we all know that infrastructure is not the primary driver of steel demand in China. It's housing. Um, you know, In fact, I think infrastructure demand only drives around 15 or 16 percent of steel use in time.
0: So, and Kerry, to stick with you and to, to pivot somewhat to uh, another commodity, let's move on to dry So, I know you've got some positive news for owners to bring to us uh, on these uh, dry freight rates. I very much do. Last week, uh, hands up, I said I was cautiously
4: bearish on both iron ore and dry freight, and happily, I've been proven wrong in the short term here. inside freight are jumping actually at the moment. They are up nearly two thousand dollars last. We spoke last week, uh, tick under eight thousand a day on the five TC average, which means that owners are in danger of making some money for the first time in a few months. Um, which, uh, which we just have not seen in a very long time. What's interesting about this is this has largely been driven in the Atlantic, uh, and particularly because Brazil's lackluster exports of iron ore for the past few months led most owners to choose not to ballast their ships, uh, which has meant that valley, in particular, has started chartering quite a few more ships uh, and expanding their shipments. Uh, it has driven a quick spike on those, uh, on those rates, on those Brazil-China rates, uh, and added to that a little bit of cargo coming out of Canada and the States,
0: also driving it up. You think uh, what you, sorry, Kerry, do you think this is something that's going to continue, or is this just uh, because of the specific situation right now, is this a sign that the market is genuinely going to recover to much higher rates?
4: I think that the market is off of life support, which is a good thing. Uh, however, I do think that there is ultimately gonna be a ceiling. I hope that that ceiling is a little bit farther away. For example, I hope that ceiling is another four or $5,000 higher than, than it is now. Having said that, you've got to remember that most vessels are uh, slow steaming at the moment. Uh, they, are, they are going very, very slowly in fact. And we have seen a number of layups as well with owners simply parking their vessels uh, as, they, as they were losing money every day they operated them. At a, you know, at a certain point, people are going to return to this market. They're going to start steaming at normal speed, and they're going to take their vessels out of the way up and, and return them to the market, which probably means that, yeah, after another few thousand dollars this will have a ceiling. For the moment, though, um, I suggest owners in the very short term enjoy that bike. What I do think is interesting is that, conversely, that, again, add the sense that there should be more pressure down the line on the iron ore rate. If Brazil really is improving their exports, which is driving this Cape spike, then we should see that filter down through expanded supply going into China on
0: the iron ore side. Uh, to bring Seb back into on this, uh, talking about freight rates briefly, um, Kerry is outlining how this has been driven by the Atlantic market. Are we seeing something in terms of the Asia or Chinese market in the future, which is going to help with these these dry freight rates? or um, I would probably push that one over to Paul. I think straight to Paul. Paul, you're up. What about you? Address the point Kerry was talking about in terms of the pressure on iron ore prices as Brazil starts, in, you know, increasing its exports again. Do you want to come back on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I sort of think if there's going to be any sort of real weakness in prices or iron ore prices, it was probably going to be in in you know Q2 that we're that we're sort of currently in. And um, I guess one, you know, one of the reasons for that is that we have had that big buildup of steel uh, in China because Chinese steel mills were still producing um, over Chinese new year and while the country uh, was in lockdown. And, and um, you know, we sort of estimate that steel is possibly about three times as high as they were sort of this time last year. So probably a lot higher than some of the uh, other, other data suggests. Um, But so we see, you know, see that uh, inventories being worked through, but really sort of a big, you know, second half of the year, we see, you know, really sort of being being quite strong. And at the beginning of the year, our sort of view was on steel production was it was probably going to be up uh, maybe about sort of one to two percent. And, you know, that could, you know, that one percent increase, you know, could possibly um, be achievable if, you know, China really sort of. Um, goes incredibly strongly um, over, the, over the second half, so don't see any big sort of drop off in, in steel um, production um, necessarily. Um, but yeah, we, um, and I don't, you know, don't necessarily sort of see um, sort of you know exports from, from Brazil and Australia and you know over the rest of this year, you know, having sort of seeing any uh, change in in the balance.
0: I, I sort, of, sort of see iron ore as being pretty well um supported over the rest of this year i guess we can bring you back in a couple of months to see if uh, the comments were correct or not we can uh, pin you to what you've been recorded saying yeah yeah, fine. <laughs> we'll so yeah. Right. um yeah um, um, I'm already we'll fly on through to our last commodity air freight before we wrap up for the week kerry you're back on the limelight what are we seeing in terms of air freight
4: what we're seeing is a significant shift of cargo away from hong kong interestingly as uh, as I mentioned last week, PPE and medical supplies are absolutely dominating the air freight market right now, and that is all coming out of mainland China airports, which is causing the Hong Kong to Europe lane to drop, uh, while the while the China to Europe routes are absolutely spiking. The governments in general in Europe are essentially panic kind of buying medical equipment. Uh, most of it is produced in China, Southeast Asia, and India, and so while actual cargo demand has dropped. Probably between 20 and 30 percent year on year, depending on the trade lane. Prices have increased as much as 147 percent on the China Europe route, and I think that's been really defining the air freight uh, the air freight market for the last few months uh, certainly for the last few weeks at least. Looking forward, we are still looking at a lot of people investing in air freight assets as well. Uh, the future may not be very certain, but. For example, Standard Chartered recently signed an $850 million financing deal with Qatar for Boeing 787-9 jets, and, uh, and that's in the middle of this downturn, while Qatar Airways is barely functioning. So you know, what
0: will be interesting to see is how that capacity comes back online as the passenger airlines are there. An interesting scenario to continue on going, and we hope to continue on the discussion of what's happening Next week, so do join us again then. But thank you very much to Paul and Seb, our special guests from SP Global Platts, and of course to Kerry and Tom, our returning contributors. But and Tom, you've got a word about our charity day.
2: Yeah, uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, we'd just like to remind uh, all our clients and partners that tomorrow, um, all proceeds generated by FIS through commissions will be donated to uh, COVID. Uh, related charities around the world that are on the front line trying to uh, fight this on, on all of our behalfs. So um, please do try and uh, and deal with FIS tomorrow. Uh, and, and bear in mind that yeah, any any revenues generated will be distributed uh, globally to COVID related causes.
0: Cool. Thank you very much, Tom. And see you all next week.